there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds. You're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, Steve Mark from Hale Varsity. Hello. How are you? Hey, Derek. Thanks for having me on. I am doing well. How about yourself? I'm good. It's good to talk to you. We haven't had you on the podcast in a while. Yeah. We it's do not that. have this week. We do not have the... Uh, resident hoodie hater so you are free to talk about your love of fall weather if you want i believe the last time that you were on this podcast you you learned that greg smith did not like fall weather and or hoodies yeah yeah pretty shocking news not gonna lie with uh coming from greg there but you know we'll persevere we'll move on it's getting colder out here i'm a fan of it he's not um so hey you know people have uh, all different types of um, likes and dislikes in this life. Uh, Greg has his and I have mine. So uh, yeah. Um, have you spoken to him since? I love it. Have you spoken to him since? Uh, yes. Yes. Um, I have today, actually. Um, weather did not come up. Um, the Lakers did. But uh, um, yes, I have talked to him. I was just about to ask. Your <laughs> your your Kings are, are two games back of the Lakers? Two and a half, I guess, back? Um, yeah, yeah about that are you giving him are you giving him grief about that see i am not yet because first of all i'm not coming from a place where i could do that because i am a said kings fan and um but hey you know it's a long season who knows what's going to happen who knows what's going to happen with luke walton with the kings darren fox if he can decide to make some jump shots um yeah but yeah i mean the lakers and greg easy pickings for some jokes there all the time but i i choose not to go that route I just want to uh, make you aware, and I just want I just want to say this because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to say this. <laughs> Your Sacramento Kings are trying to win. Yeah. My Oklahoma City Thunder are, are not trying to win, and we are one spot above you in the standings. So, so I thought about um, sending you a Slack or or something um, when the Kings blew their lead against the Thunder. I think it was last week. Oh. <laughs> That was such a Kings, a Kang's performance. Um, my fellow Kings fans, if there's any of them out there, um, will know um, when they are the Kings and when they are the Kangs. When they screw up, they're the Kangs. So that was definitely a Kang's performance. I, there are a lot of Sacramento Kings fans, but you guys are just all in perpetual. You guys are just living in purgatory for like the rest of existence because I don't know when this team. People keep making fun of the Oklahoma City Thunder, calling the Oklahoma City Thunder like a black eye in the league. And I'm like, can we look at like the Houston Rockets that are one and 14 and <laughs> not playing John Wall and not trading John Wall? Or like, can we look at the Pelicans or can we look at the Charlotte Hornets who have been a dumpster fire for 10 years? Or can we look at and I'm sorry to say this, but they are on my mind when I have this conversation, the Sacramento Kings. 
haven't done anything and are apparently going to fire Luke Walton. Um, You're totally right. I have nothing to go against that. Um, I mean, you are absolutely right. The Kings are um, purgatory lifelong. So old school Kings though, they were fun. So I hope you get back. Uh, We're not going to talk about NBA basketball on this podcast (laughs) much longer. Mostly because I, I don't think any of the, the listeners here are Oklahoma City Thunder fans, so they probably all hate me uh, because we, you know, we took the Seattle Sonics. Um, so we'll move on. Steve, I have you on the podcast today to talk about Nebraska football and to talk about Nebraska women's basketball because the men have had a little bit of a shaky start to their season, but the women are 4-0 as of recording this Thursday afternoon. They're 4-0. They just beat Creighton. There's some good vibes. And that is your secondary beat. So I want to get your thoughts on that a little bit um, because I covered them before I left. But first, a couple of housekeeping notes. Make sure that you guys as listeners are subscribers at hailvarsity.com. Go to hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe. Get the magazine. There's a new issue coming soon, I believe. It's basketball related. Don't hold me to that. And you can also get premium content, which means you're going to get a bunch of excellent work from Steve. Also, subscribe to everybody else's podcast. This is a proud part of the Heard at Media Network. Hail Varsity podcasts include the Straight Up Breakdown with Craig Smith, the IED Preview podcast, which you can go check out after you're done listening to this episode to get a Wisconsin preview for this week because Nebraska football plays Wisconsin and Brandon Vogel broke it all down for you. There's also the Nebraska Preps post-game show with Jacob Padilla and Damon Bedding. There is the Mind Your Own podcast with Aaron Sorensen and Sasha Durkin. And brand new, Jacob is double-dipping in the podcast space. He's got his own basketball-centric podcast with Jacob Bigelow. Go check that out. And if you have not already, leave his podcast a review. Please, it helps. Steve. Let's yes. talk about women's basketball for a second because wrong, they? they are. And before injuries kind of completely destroyed Amy Williams death last year, they look like the makings of a decent team. And before I guess the transfer portal completely wrecked the last iteration of this team that Amy Williams had, they look like a decent team this off season. They have a little bit of stability. They lose Kate Kane, which is a big piece in the middle, but they get Jazz Shelley, a transfer from Oregon. She's a guard to come in, and she has joined the starting five. And she kind of, at least in my assessment of it, she's kind of making this whole thing go. Sam Hybe is able to, to, to do Sam Hybe things and not have to worry about playing the point guard. Um, she's got Shelley and Ashley Scoggin that can sort of handle point guard duties. Izzy Bourne is able to play the four instead of the three, which is good. What, what I guess what's what's been your assessment of these first four games for for Amy Williams squad? They look like they're having fun. They look um, like they can do some running and gunning. They look like they have in, an inside presence too. Um, of course, they lose Kate came from last year like like you like you know when you cover the team. Um, but I think they're gonna be just fine down there. They have some they have some tough some tough women. Um, Izzy Bourne, I think she can hold her own down there. And it's just, I don't know, it's it's a fun brand of basketball to watch. Like you you mentioned, Jazz Shelley, she's coming over from Oregon. Man, she has a quick trigger on that three-point shot, and she's been hitting them too. 
Um, now the Creighton game was kind of a, you know, it was a tough shooting night all around for literally everyone in the gym, um, Creighton and Nebraska. Uh, but they, they found a way to, to get out of that with a win with a gutty performance, something they haven't had to do throughout those first three games against kind of lesser competition. Um, but I think it was really good to, to play an in-state rival, a muddy, dirty, ugly game and come out of there with the win. Um, I think this team um, is just rounding into shape nicely and um, good on them for getting out of there uh, yesterday or last night with a, with a win over Creighton first, first one in five tries. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the first three games, the, the, the golf and competition, the golf and talent was obvious. Yeah. Well, I guess, what did you take away from, from those first three games? What, what did you think you could take away from those games? I took away that. Um, so going into it, you knew that they were going to be lopsided wins. Did they, did I think that they were going to score over a hundred points in two of them? No. Um, but I think that's, that was something that um, um, after, after those, after those two wins, Amy Williams, in the post-game press conference said that they're not going to take away too much from scoring triple digits um, back-to-back in back-to-back games. But I think, you know, if, if a team, if a basketball team sees, sees itself doing that, that just like gives you so much confidence that you're going to go out there and like, yeah, we can score on anybody. Like, yeah, we can score on these, on Al- the Alabama and M's of the world, but we can also do this like, yeah, maybe we can do this in some, in some conference games too. Who knows? But it's just like, even if, if they're able to do that or not, the confidence is there now. And I think the confidence right now is sky high with um, Amy's crew right now. And especially, you know, Sam Hybe, Scoggin, Ashley Scoggin, Bella Cravens, Izzy Bourne, Jazz Shelley, even some of the freshmen, um, Allison Widener coming off the bench, Alexis Markowski coming off the bench. They're all contributing. This is a very, very um, interesting team right now. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. Yeah, one of the things that Amy does in her non-conference, and really she does it in the conference play too, but it it it, it builds depth for Big Ten play. She just plays her entire bench. Every yeah. single person sees the floor, and it's not one of those situations where she plays a a ten woman rotation. No, every single player sees the floor, and you know, like they've got this one of the best recruiting classes in history that comes in and these freshmen are seeing the floor and they've got a couple of guards in that group. And still somebody like Whitney Brown is on the floor. She's getting time. And, and Amy's done that throughout her entire Nebraska tenure. And it just builds confidence. It builds chemistry when you can throw out different lineups and it's going to help. It has helped them in big 10 play when she's had to call on people. Um, so Nebraska's, I think Nebraska's got depth. I think they had it, last year too, when healthy, but they also have two players who I think could be among the maybe 15, 20 or so best players in the big 10. Um, and, and maybe that's conservative. And I'm talking about Sam Hybe and Izzy Bourne. I want to ask you specifically about Izzy getting kind of your first in-person look at, at her game and, and what she's able to do. I, I guess what have you been impressed with what you've seen from her? I think she is such a versatile player. I mean, would you agree with that? She does so many good things inside of the hoop and she's able to stretch the floor too, hit some threes. Um, and like, she's very smart with the ball also. And I think it was one of the, one of the first um, three games that they played um, where, where there were blowouts, but it was just such, it looked like she was getting such good practice where she would get an entry pass into the block. She'd wait and see what the defense was doing. Okay. Okay. So the defense is going to come. They're going to send an extra body towards me. 
get a double team. I'm going to whip it out to the corner for an open three. It's just like little things like that, that you don't see very often um, that I, I saw during those games. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> this girl can play. So um, yeah, I mean, she's such a versatile piece. I feel like that's going to be incredibly important for this team's um, season. So uh, yeah, I, I, I always wanted to um, kind of pick your brain on, on the team since you have much more experience covering it than, than I have, but what, what do you think about Izzy? Yeah. I, I mean, versatility is, is, is definitely the the right word. I, I think her having to play three last year, her having to play outside, having to play against sometimes smaller wing players, smaller forwards that, that maybe had a, an athleticism advantage against her. It, you could tell early on, she's a little out of her comfort zone playing out there but I think you know I, I thought as the season went on and as as Amy continued to ex- experiment excuse me I've got the I've got the hiccups today I'm sorry um, <laughs> as Amy continued to experiment kind of with lineups and and with um, personnel groupings on the floor particularly when she had Izzy and Bella and Kate all healthy later in the year Izzy could play the three and you could see her just gaining a little bit more comfort in her ability to to, to play facing her, her defender. Um, she, it's clear she's incredibly comfortable with her back to the basket. It's clear right. she's got a handful of moves that she can call on kind of depending on where the defender is at. Um, but for her to have to go outside the basket, for her to have to be able to try to take people off the dribble, for her to have to be able to make passes on the exterior, um, I thought it was I thought it was beneficial for her development. And so I was really curious to see this season, whenever she's able to play more full time for where she's comfortable, if some of the skills that, that she worked on a little bit last year, were going to translate. And it sounds like with some of the passing that she's done, um, sounds like that, that has, in fact, translated. I completely agree. She looks right at home with her back to the basket and. I'm kind of just having the offense run through her when she has the ball down there. Um, it, it's just really good stuff. And Amy has really liked out on the wing, having a defensive stopper that she can put on just whoever the, the opposing team's best offensive player is. Yeah. Um, she had it with Nicaea Liley for a couple of years and, and, and Nicaea was, was somebody in the starting lineup that when Trinity Brady was healthy at the start of last season, she kind of thought Trinity would be that person, but it seems like she's going with more of this three guard offensive scoring lineup with Ashley Scoggin, Jazz Shelley, and, and Sam Hybe. That is the that is the starting backcourt, correct? Yeah, yeah, and it, it it just gives it's a it's a little bit of a different um it's a different look from her, which is interesting, and I think it's made them super dynamic because they've got three different guards that can all do sort of different stuff, um, and. Sam got to play next to Hannah Whitish for a couple of years and Hannah handled primary point guard duties and Sam would play off ball and then they would kind of switch off and, and they would kind of, you take a possession, now I'll take a possession and, and Sam just played it more off ball. And then when Hannah graduated and left, Sam had to play more point as Ashley was kind of getting comfortable. And I, I don't know, I, I'm rambling, but I kind of like the ability for Amy to just throw three guards out there. Um, that all know how to to get their shot and find a shot for somebody else, um, and then to have to have Izzy inside and to have the rebounding presence of Bella Cravens. It, it they are a, a versatile team with with a handful of different ways to attack opponents. So uh, for them to get that win over Creighton, I think was big for them for from a confidence standpoint. 
as we sort of move into the, the meat of their schedule. Do you have any other women's basketball thoughts before we move on to football? I, do, I, do, I wanted to highlight Jazz Shelley's defensive effort and uh, her, her rebounding, which I had no idea she was going to be an, as effective rebounder as she has been. Um, through these four games, it's been like really impressive for like just a small, she's not the biggest guard girl in the world, but she is getting down there amongst the trees and coming down with these offensive and defensive rebounds. It's really, really helping out. It'll be interesting to see um, how much that um, keeps happening uh, during the season, but right now it looks great. Yeah. Um, rebounding has sort of been their Achilles heel for a couple of years. Uh, so to have a, a, a sort of, strong team rebounding group yep. um we'll see if that lasts football thoughts we are i guess now two weeks removed from the chaos of scott frost contract restructuring assistance leaving new roles all that all that stuff it's just stuff just a lot of stuff that happened um they, they play a football game on saturday Nebraska has two games left. The best they can do is five and seven on the season. What do you want to see from Nebraska's players? I'm going to ask you about the coaching staff in a second, what you want to see from, from Frost and from Becton and from some of those guys in a second. But what do you want to see from the players in these last two games? So during the, during the week, we go to these press conferences. We talk to some of the coaches. We talk to uh, some of the players. And this week, I – like – Look, there's not a lot of people are going to think that they're going to win this game, but I really do believe just from listening and seeing them react to questions, the players that they really, really are sick and tired of uh, Wisconsin and Iowa, both of them just kicking their butt every single time. Um, I think it's last seven games, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, Minnesota or Wisconsin has, excuse me, has won against Nebraska. And just from listening to the players talk, I really think that they're fed up with this and they're really going to give a great effort and really, really play their butts off um, on Saturday in Madison. Um, and I think they can do it with the defense that Nebraska has. Um, it's going to be a, a really, really tough effort because um, we, we all know how the Badgers want to play with Bra with the emergence of Braylon Allen, that monster running back over there. Um, their offensive line just coming at you, coming at you. I think they lead the Big Ten in average rushing attempts per game. Um, so they just keep coming after defenses, but I don't know. I really think that we're going to see a spirited effort. I might be alone in that thinking, but um, what, I, what do you think about it? Well, I, I think, I think Nebraska has a chance because it's had a chance in every game it's played this season, but I'm just curious, like what, I'm curious what the mood is from the team to start specifically offensively because like the tight ends are the only ones that still have their guy. Yeah. Like everybody else lost their guy. And I'm curious what kind of impact that is going to have because the team that they're about to play is the worst possible team that you can play when you maybe don't know what you're supposed to be doing, or maybe there's something <laughs> that's happening differently. So Wisconsin has the best run defense in the country. Yeah, they're giving up 1.9 yards per run on the year. That's a, it's it's insane how good their run defense has been. Jeff Petrakis from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel had a tweet last night that Wisconsin hasn't given up a touchdown in 27 straight possessions faced. 
going back to the Iowa game. And in the last month of play for them, that's over 50 possessions that the defense has faced. They've given up two touchdowns, one to Purdue, one to Iowa. Um, so like we know how good Nebraska's defense is, and we know generally the way that Wisconsin's going to want to play offensively. So I, I think the expectation for this game is that it's going to be a low possession game. It's going to be a lower scoring game. It's going to be one of those games where you have to be effective when you have the football. And so Nebraska's going against the defense that a is really freaking good. B has had their number save for 2019 when Dedrick Mills ran over them randomly. Um, <laughs> and like, like, I guess how interested is Nebraska in playing that that's, you know, not, not, I don't want to beat around the bush anymore. How interested is Nebraska's offense in playing, particularly when in the, the competition is going to be as, as stiff as the competition is if Nebraska comes out offensively and has a three and out and has a couple of bad series to start the game. Like, what are you looking at? Like Adrian Martinez was really close to Mario Verduzco. Some of those running backs were really close to Ryan held. Um, and some of the offensive linemen, obviously, as we saw from a couple of tweets, we're really close with Greg Austin. Like, it, like it's tough to lose your position coach in the middle of the season, particularly when you have a younger team, which Nebraska does have. So, like, how interested are they in playing? How interested are they in in competing when there's adversity? And I, I wasn't questioning that until, you know, there was staff changes. Uh, but now that there are new voices and now that there are people that that – you know, so that a lot of these players had relationships with that are no longer in the building and no longer going to be on the sideline. Does that change? Yeah. It, it, when that happens, if that happens, if Nebraska goes on, on offense and like you said, gets a three and out and has to punt away. And if it shanks it for, for 13 yards or something like that, what's going to happen? I mean, that's going to be the um, worst case scenario. Cause I could definitely see that spiraling out of control and, and everything, but um I, I really think like what you were just laying out, that's where the the leaders of the team, these, um, so if you look like on the offensive line, I think that's when a guy like Cam Jurgens um, steps up and says something uh, to, the, to the four other guys and, and the offensive line group. Um, that's when Austin, a guy like Austin Allen might, you know, put his coaching hat on because he sounds like a coach every single week and, and does some talking. Um, that's when Adrian Martinez does some talking. Cause I don't really think Adrian Martinez is a type of guy um, the type of human really um, after we've listened and listened to him um, talk for, for so much. Um, he's not the type of guy that would just like lay down and, and um, stop. He's always going to fight. He's always going to do what's best for the team. Um, I, I, I think that this team has strong player led leadership. And I think that's really going to come into focus and really be used in these final two games. But you're absolutely right. If they come out and have a poor start to the game, um, there's a chance that things could get really, really ugly. Um, but I guess we'll see the fight of this team um, in, in these last uh, few ga couple games if it com comes to it. Let me try and draw a parallel here to what we were talking about in the beginning. We were talking about the Sacramento Kings and, and your just uh, general stay in purgatory. So you, you guys have fired your fair share of coaches oh, yeah. in season, at the end of season. You guys have cycled through coaches. And like we see this in sports, when there's a coach that's fired, that the players don't like there's like an immediate kind of boom effect in their next game, the next game that they play. There's, there's like a, there's like a weight that's lifted off their shoulders. Um, 
and you see them go out and they surprise somebody, they shock somebody, they win, things like that. That stuff happens. That's a real thing that happens in sports. It is, yes. Um, I've, I'm trying to remember. I've seen because I've seen it happen a couple times with the Kings. I've seen it happen with like, I, I I can't remember names. I've seen it happen a couple times. I'm curious what Nebraska is like because I, by all accounts, they like their coach. By all accounts, this is not a situation where they were upset with the coaching staff or, you know, like the, the coaching staff was putting, I don't know, stress on them or creating like a toxic environment, workplace environment. I like, like the things that you see in that sort of situation that I just described where the team plays well after a coach firing, those, those things don't seem to be present with this team. So like, I hate to belabor this point, but like, I think that's just the most interesting thing that we're going to see on Saturday. Like, what's the mood? Like, I, like, I'm curious, what's the mood? So my question for you, as somebody that's, that's been around them in person the last two weeks, what's been the mood? Like I said, they, uh, they really, they really um, just seem like to me, at least tired of getting their um, butt kicked by, by Wisconsin and Iowa. They talked like they are fed up with it and they really, really want to win this game. And to me, that speaks like they're going to come out and they're not going to look like a team that is missing four of its offensive coaches. That's just my personal opinion. I think they're going to go there and it's going to be a lot closer than people think. It's going to be probably an ugly game, a lot of, a lot of runs, um, a lot of you know two, three-yard gains in the cloud of dust type things. But I just from being around them, listening to them talk, especially de- the defensive guys, they are really, really tired of losing to, to Wisconsin. And I don't think the staff shakeup is going to impact them and have that um, be, be seen in the game as much as maybe the outside perception might, might look like. Does that make any sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. I'm not saying they're going to win, of course, but I think it's going to be a spirited effort and the fan base is going to come out of this game thinking, yeah, they really, they really put a lot of effort in that. Yeah. The thing that just doesn't bode well for them is that if, if it is a low scoring game, if it's, if it's one of those games where possessions are limited, (laughs) you're talking about a one score game, maybe (laughs) they don't really have a great track record in those things, huh? They don't. Are you breaking news here? Yeah. (laughs) They do not. <laughs> they, they don't have like a good they, track record. Seems like they kind of fail under pressure in those situations. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, what do you want to see from this offensive coaching staff over these, these last two games? Like, like, I guess what, what can Frost do in these last two games with, with a different, do you think any of these coaches are coaching for a potential full-time spot? First of all, I guess we'll start there. So no to that, no to that question. I, I don't see that really happening. Um, but to, to your other question, if I put myself in Scott Frost's shoes and I'm kind of like the guy leading the offense here, um, what am I going to be doing? Well, throughout my readings, throughout all the football that I watch, everything that I read, I don't think coaches in this situation like Scott finds himself in are really like big fans of changing a bunch of stuff. I think they're going to go out and he's going to call what he, what he knows. And that's going to be what, what, what Nebraska has done on offense throughout the season. I think there's, he's going to try to get the offense 
the, the run game going. He's going to try. He's probably going to give up on it way too soon and start chucking the ball around the, around the field. That's what I think is going to happen personally. But like I said, like throughout everything, everything that I've kind of seen and, and taken in with college football and, and NFL football is they don't really change much. They just want to keep doing what they know, what they know to do is, does that make sense? Like they, they just want to keep doing what they have been doing because last thing you want to do is just change a bunch of stuff because, and who knows what's going to happen then. Right. I think the, the, the one name that everybody looks at and says, well, like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe it would be cool to see him get a, a another go around here at Nebraska's Ron Brown coaching the running backs. Um, yeah. So I guess if there is, you know, uh, I, I guess if there is a big boon and, they beat Wisconsin or they beat Iowa or God forbid they beat both. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe one of these coaches keeps their job because as we have found out, uh, as we've gotten to know Scott Frost more and more, he does like to have people around him that he quote unquote trusts. Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, that's a good, that's a good catch on your part with Ron Brown. Tons of experience, obviously with Nebraska, he knows Scott, Scott knows him. Um, I could definitely see that as a possibility um, just to keep him on his staff um, in any capacity, really. You had a piece on hailvarsity.com this past week where you wrote about potential offensive coordinators. Do you want to talk about that piece? Yeah. Um, so we were just kind of kicking around story ideas and I, I thought it'd be interesting just to um, go, go through Scott Frost coaching history and see um, just the names that he worked with um, on coaching staffs um, that he's been on um, stretching all the way back to when he was a defensive GA grad assistant um, at Kansas State um, in 2006. So that was that was really fun and, and enlightening. And I did not know how stacked that. Um, well, I guess I wouldn't call it stacked that much. Uh, Kansas State's 2006 coaching staff with Ron Prince as the head coach was. Um, I, I believe James Franklin was uh, one of the coordinators, offensive or defensive, um, um, back then with a the head coach of Old Dominion and uh, Coach Rain um, over there right now, who's um, by all accounts doing some really good stuff in the RPO game, run pass option offense. Um, a lot of the NFL guys kind of know who um, Coach Rain is over there. So um, yeah, it's just very interesting to go back and see see who Scott has coached with who um, and, and worked with, which isn't a ton of, of people. He's got kind of a really small, I would say, a small coaching tree. Um, just because he hires people that he knows and sticks with them for a long time, as as we've seen um, with UCF and Central Florida and uh, Nebraska. So, yeah, it was it was really interesting just to see the different names that Scott has worked with over the years. So Chris Kleiman could get fired by yeah Kansas Chris State Kleiman too yeah and come coach at Nebraska. That's <laughs> that's a possibility. Or or you know I'm just gonna throw this out here. Maybe instead of you know, getting the USC job, James Franklin you, loses his Penn State job, and there's there's a, a coaching rehabilitation candidate right there that you need as your OC. Scott could be the next Nick Saban and just take in <laughs> and take in just like these wayward souls coaches um, needing a year off to, you know, you know he could just bring them in and, and rehab them for the next big gig, right? I this would, <laughs> I would like somebody to go to James Franklin this week or next week, either way, and ask him, if you get fired by Penn State, would you consider going and working under Scott Frost in a rehabilitation program? Yeah. He might punch you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, Some he, of the, he, 
yeah, sorry. That's why, like, you, you talk about, like, Tom Herman. Um, people have been like, well, if Dan Mullen gets fired from Florida, like, some of those guys, I can't imagine that they would look at Scott Frost and be like, yeah, I'm going to coach under him. That's, yes, that's that's one thing that I kind of totally agree with is, so Dan Mullen, just, just hypothetically, he gets, he gets let go from Florida this season. He's really like, yeah, I'll go call plays under Scott Frost who has four losing seasons. Like that's not happening. I can see a guy like Tom Herman wanting to get back into the coaching game and take a one year flyer and call and call plays at Nebraska back in the big 10. I could definitely see that happening Would would the fan base here. See, I can't probably not. No, because you know, he's got Texas connections and everybody hates Texas and you know, he's, I don't know. It's just this is correct. We do hate Texas. You are correct. Everybody, (laughs) everybody in the country hates Texas. The Oklahoma from the Oklahoma guy. (laughs) That's what that's what Kansas has taught us. That everybody in the country maybe doesn't hate Texas, but like everybody in the country outside of the state of Texas loves to see Texas fail. That's what we've learned, thanks to Kansas. Um, The Tom Herman thing. (laughs) A dude won a Sugar Bowl. Yeah, like I like Dan Mullen. Like Dan Mullen won an Orange Bowl. And like two years ago, was eight and sitting at eight and one with a top ten team. Yeah. So we'll see. Maybe. So what? Like, what are your thoughts on Herman? Like, obviously the fan base wouldn't like it. They don't like the guy. But like, I I don't know. He's like doing whatever he's doing with the Chicago Bears right now as an analyst. He wants to get like it's not a stretch to think he wants to get back into the coaching. So I think like yeah, sure, come to Lincoln, make a million dollars, and call some plays for a year, and then. That's that's your stepping stone somewhere else, right? Why would you come to Lincoln when you can just go do the same thing at Alabama? It depends on like I guess what his options are. I guess I I, I should have thought of that before before saying Tom Tom Herman though. But yeah, he'd have to weigh his um, options for sure. But I mean, let's just be honest. Like whoever is getting it getting this offensive coordinator role at Nebraska, you know, it doesn't look great for the future. So you have to just like weigh your options and um, see what you want to do. And, you know, just because you're, you're going to be calling plays for a head coach on the hot seat. Yeah. Um, with, that had his contract restructured. With. I, I could be completely misreading the situation, but I just don't think that that kind of um, former head coach who wants to rehabilitate his career and, and get back. So he's going to take an OC job. I just don't think that that guy is, is going to look at this situation and say, yeah, that's where, that's where I'm going to go. Because I also think, you know, like people were talking about Bill O'Brien as a potential Scott Frost replacement as a head coach. And that was for Nebraska. Yeah. So like one of these teams, I mean, we only have, I think it's nine coaching openings right now, maybe 10. I mean, we're getting close to that point in the season where, Lots of teams are going to start firing their coach. And so there are going to be teams that don't have huge expectations that will look at Bill O'Brien and say, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll take a shot on that guy. We'll take a shot on that guy because he came from Nick Saban's school of rehabilitation. And then there's a spot opened up. (laughs) Yeah. And so like for Tom Herman, why would you go? Why would you go to Nebraska instead of going to, to Alabama? Like if, like if I have Alabama and I have Nebraska on the schedule, I would look at, Okay, well, Steve Sarkeesian was there, and then he got the job at Texas. Bill O'Brien was there, and depending on if he gets a job elsewhere and this thing is actually open, well, yeah. Bill O'Brien now has a new job. So I'm just going to go to Alabama, and, and in a year from now, I'll have a brand-new head coaching job, whereas at Nebraska, it could be like, well, a year from now, I could be out of a job, period. Yeah. 
And then I don't know what I'm doing. Those are all great. Yeah, those are all great points. And it's kind of leading me to think that it's going to be some, some, it's not going to be a name. Do you, do you agree with that? It's not going to be a name. I, where I agree. The fan base hears it and goes like, oh, wow. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. It's going to be a name where someone goes, who? Which doesn't, which, which I would like to, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Because no, not at all. Yeah, that was what, the, whoever the guy is. That's what Tony Tuioti was. Yep. And he has worked. Oh, yeah. And we have talked about this before. That's the kind of hire I want to see Frost make. Not one where it's like Mark Helfrich, where he knows the name and, and has a, a prior relationship built there. I just want to see him hire a good candidate for the position that has good ideas for the job. And, um, and yeah, what goes along with that is identifying talent, right? And he doesn't have really a great track record of that. Do you agree? I'd agree. Yeah. So we'll see. Which, which I, I guess leads back to the, you know, I guess anything could happen in these last oh, two yeah, games. Absolutely. If, if Nebraska, you know, if Nebraska, they were close two years ago against Wisconsin. They had a game plan that worked against Wisconsin. Now this, I think this defense is a lot better than that one was without mm-hmm. having the numbers in front of me. Um, but they were close with Wisconsin. They had a game plan that worked. And so, you know, I'll, I'll be curious to see what Frost has schemed up for, the Badgers this time around, they don't have Dedrick Mills, obviously, but, and, you know. and it's looking, and it's looking like, I don't know if this is going to be breaking news, but it's looking like for Ramir Johnson will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how much Ramir Johnson plays because Scott didn't really sound confident that he would be playing on Saturday. Super. Now I don't feel so good that. So that leaves like maybe Marquis step, throw in some Marvin Scott, Melt Carton, Marvin Scott, who knows what who knows what we're who's going to be running the ball on Saturday. You're making me feel worse and worse about this situation. <laughs> so it's an L on Saturday against Wisconsin. Yeah. I Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa with that anemic offense. We'll give Is it, it gonna be Alex Padilla? Padilla? Well, I um, like the thing with um the thing with Spencer Petrus is like, oh, it's a shoulder injury. and He's got to be able to – no, it's not. You just finally admitted to yourselves that he's not any good. Yeah. I mean, I was watching that um, Iowa Iowa game, and Padilla, 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 Padilla whatever it is, um, he was looking pretty dang good throwing on the run. Um, so that's that's one thing that I already kind of jotted – mentally jotted down, like when I was like – when I'll be doing the Iowa preview um, for next week, it's like, okay, let's go back in these games and let's get some clips of – on that quarterback throwing on the run because he looked like he could find some open receivers and oh no it looked a lot better like Spencer like you said yeah most most of the fan reaction I saw in the Minnesota game and and sort of in the aftermath of the Minnesota game was that Padilla did enough to earn the job and it is Padilla I I know that because Jacob is Padilla (laughs) and contrary to what I tweeted Alex Padilla is not Jacob Padilla's brother no way no (laughs) wow I just, no, I just inverted that. It's Alex Padilla because it's Jacob Padilla. Now Jacob's going to kill me. <laughs> I need Cam to edit this out, but I know he's not going to edit this out. Jacob's going to kill me. It's the, it's the inverse. I just had a brain fart moment. It's Alex Padilla because it's the right way to say that word. And yeah. it's Jacob Padilla. Yep. Cool. Well done, Derek. That feels like a good place to end it. Now that I've made a fool of myself for the week, it's a weekly occurrence here. So we did that. (laughs) Steve, thank you for coming on the podcast and talking this week. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Derek. Everyone that's listening, go follow Steve on Twitter. He doesn't make stupid mistakes like I do. 
Shouts to Cam for producing this podcast every week and probably for leaving that flub in uh, in the final cut. Shouts to you guys for listening. RadioHellVarsity.com throughout the weekend. Also, this weekend, I'm going to be in Madison. My wife and I are going to the game. We'll be in Section I or Section 1, whichever it is. Never sat actually in Camp Randall before. I've been in the press box. Row 30, seats 17 and 18. Come say hi if you're in Madison. We'll talk to you guys next week. Production.